A Confession by Leo Tolstoy Translated by Jane Candish Chapter 2 Someday I will relate the story of my life and of how touching and instructive were those 10 years of my youth. I think a great many people must have experienced something similar. I longed with all my soul to be good, but I was young. I had passions and I was alone, completely alone in my search for goodness. I met with contempt and scorn, and as soon as I gave in to the base desires, I was praised and encouraged. Ambition, lust for power, self-interest, lechery, pride, anger, revenge were all respected qualities. As I yielded to these passions, I became like my elders and I felt that they were pleased with me. A dear old aunt of mine, the purest of creatures, with whom I lived, was always saying that she wished for nothing as much as that I would have a relationship with the married woman. Another happiness she wished for me was that I should become an adjutant and preferably to the emperor. And the greatest happiness of all would be for me to marry a very rich girl and acquire as many serfs as possible through the marriage. I cannot recall those years without horror, loathing and heartache. I killed people in war, summoned others to duels in order to kill them, gambled at cards. I devoured the fruits of peasants' labor and punished them. I fornicated and practiced deceit. Lying, thieving, promiscuity of all kinds, drunkenness, violence, murder. There was not a crime I did not commit, and yet I was praised for it all. and my contemporaries considered and still consider me a relatively moral man for 10 years i lived in this fashion during this time i began to write out of vanity self-interest and pride in my writings i did the same as i did in life in order to achieve the fame and money for which i wrote i had to conceal what was good in myself and display what was bad and this is what i did time and again I would contrive in my writings to conceal under the guise of indifference or even of light-heartedness those strivings for goodness which lent meaning to my life and I succeeded and was praised after war by which time I was 26 I returned to St Petersburg and took up company with writers they accepted me as one of them and flattered me I had no time to stop and look around before I had assimilated the view of life held by the group of writers with whom I mixed and before long all my earlier attempts at improvement had been erased their outlook provided a theory that justified my undisciplined life the view of life adopted by these people my literary associates was that generally speaking life is a process of development in the course of which the most important role is played by us the thinkers and that among the thinkers it is we the artists and the poets who have the most influence Our vocation is to educate people in order to avoid being confronted by the obvious question what do i know and what have i got to teach their theory explained that it is not necessary to know this and that the poet and the artist teach unconsciously i was considered a superb artist and poet and it was therefore quite natural for me to adopt this theory i an artist and poet wrote without knowing myself what it was i was teaching and i was paid money for doing this i was provided with excellent food lodgings women company and i was famous it must then be the case that what i was teaching was very good 
This faith in the meaning of poetry and in the evolution of life was a religion, and I was one of its priests. It was very profitable and pleasant to be one of its priests, and for a considerable length of time, I lived in this faith without ever doubting its validity. But in the second and still more in the third year of this existence, I began to doubt its infallibility and to examine it. The first point of doubt was that I had begun to notice how the priests of this religion disagreed among themselves. Some said, "We are the finest and most useful teachers, and it is we who teach what is needed, while the others teach falsely." And others said, "No, we are the real teachers, and you teach falsely." They argued, quarrelled, deceived, and tricked one another. Moreover, there were many among us who were unconcerned as to who was right and who was wrong. but who simply achieved their own selfish ends by means of this activity of ours all this forced me to doubt the truth of the faith furthermore once i had begun to doubt the truth of this writer's religion i started observing its priests more closely and became convinced that almost all the priests of this faith the writers were immoral men the majority of bad and worthless character and much inferior to the people i had met during my former dissipated military life but they were complacent and self-satisfied in a way that is only possible for people who are truly holy or for those who do not know what holiness is these people became repugnant to me and i became repugnant to myself and realized that the religion was a fraud But strange to say even though the utter falsehood of the creed was something i came quickly to understand and to reject i did not discard the rank these people bestowed on me that of artist poet and teacher i naively imagined that i was a poet and an artist and could teach everybody without myself knowing what i was teaching and this is what i did through my association with these men i acquired a new vice an unhealthily developed pride and an insane conviction that it was my vocation to teach people without knowing what i was teaching now when i think about this period and about my state of mind and that of those around me and incidentally there are thousands of them nowadays i feel sad terrible ridiculous it arouses in me precisely the same feelings as one might experience in a madhouse at the time we were all convinced that we must talk and talk and write and publish as quickly as possible and as much as possible and that this was all necessary for the good of mankind and thousands of us contradicting and abusing one another published and wrote with the aim of teaching others failing to notice that we knew nothing that we did not know the answer to the most basic question of life what is good and what is evil we all spoke at the same time never listening to one another at times we indulged and praised each other in order to be indulged and praised in return at other times we grew angry and shrieked at each other just as if we were in a madhouse thousands of workers toiled day and night assembling millions and millions of words which were distributed by post over the whole of russia and we taught and taught but never managed to impart all that we had to teach and were always annoyed that we were given so little attention Horribly strange but I now understand it all. Our genuine sincere concern was over how to gain as much money and fame as possible. And the only thing we knew how to do in order to achieve this aim was to write books and journals. This is what we did. But in order for us to pursue this utterly useless task and have the assurance that we were very important people, 
we needed an argument that would justify what we were doing and so we devised the following everything that exists is rational and all that exists evolves and it evolves through enlightenment enlightenment is measured through the distribution of books and journals we are paid and respected for writing these books and papers so we must be the most important and useful people this theory would have been all very well had we been in agreement but since any thought expressed by any of us was always contradicted by the diametrically opposed views of another we should have been forced to rethink but we did not notice this we were paid money and those who sided with us praised us consequently every one of us believed himself to be in the right it is now clear to me that there was no difference between our behavior and that of people in a madhouse but at the time i only dimly suspected this and like all madmen i thought everyone was mad except myself